Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 71 of the Adventure Games Podcast. I hope everyone is well. This week... A very special guest joins me, as I am joined by none other than Charles Cecil, the CEO and founder of Revolution Software and the lead developer of my favourite adventure game, Broken Sword and Beneath the Steel Sky. Now, today he spoke about his upcoming game, Beyond the Steel Sky. He spoke about how uh, Revolution got together with Apple to make the game. He spoke about his philosophy designing games and characters and puzzles and how that has changed over the years, and much, much more as well. So, um, so yeah, so here's a trailer for Beyond the Steel Sky, and followed by my interview with Charles Cecil. So, please enjoy. Union City. I've been away so long. Now I was back. The city looked different. Beautiful. Peaceful. Happy. I was hoping to meet you, Mr. Grundy. My dear husband is back. Is everyone feeling aspirational today? But I was on the trail of a child, brutally abducted from his village. Beware! Demons stalk the cat by night. What's happened, Foster? Where's my son? And nothing in the city was what it seemed. Luckily, I wasn't alone for long. Foster! What the hell kept you? Together, we tracked the missing king. Trail that led to the true darkness at the heart of Union City. I am delighted and honored to be joined by Charles Cecil, the CEO of Revolution Software. So, hello, Charles. How are you? Well, hello, and it's a pleasure to be to join you. Thank you. Oh, th- thank you for joining me. We uh, we met at Adventure X first time two years ago, where I uh, butted in on your conversation to <laughs> to let you know that. Uh, and I th- I swear I don't say this to every person who comes on the podcast, but Broken Sword was my first and remains my favorite game of all time. So thank oh. you for making it. <laughs> well, thank you. That's an incredibly generous statement to make, and it's it's very flattering. Uh, no, I, I did really, really enjoy it. All of my family know about the game because I, I kept going on about it. And I believe at this stage I'm nearly contractually obliged to mention it in every episode. So fine <laughs> with the creator here. So, um, so but he, here today we're here to talk about your upcoming game, Beyond the Steel Sky, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, so... I suppose my first question is, um, how did your partnership with Apple come about and why did you decide to make the game with them? Oh, well, um, the, the, the relationship with Apple started in about 2008. Um, Revolution did very well in the 90s. We released uh, our first game called um, Near the Temptress, then Beneath the Still Sky, Broken Sword 1, Broken Sword 2. And then the market changed profoundly. Um, as retailers started taking PlayStation games um, and marginalizing the PC. And 
and, and publishers basically said that the, um, the adventure was dead um, and PC was dead. And so um, it was very, very difficult to develop or publish uh, adventure games at that point. Uh, and then everything changed in, in about 2007 when um, Apple released the iPhone. And then in 2008, got in contact with us and said that they weren't enormously happy by a lot of the quality of the games that were appearing on iTunes. Um, and they felt that our games might work well. Um, and uh, we were hugely excited, obviously huge fans of Apple and Steve Jobs. Um, and so we released Beneath the Steel, sorry, um, um, uh, yeah, Beneath the Steel Sky on um, onto iTunes. And the game was really well received. And we were incredibly lucky because uh, the game, the original assets were 320 by 200, which happened to be the size of the uh, iPhone screen at that time. Um, the game was very well received. Um, we then brought Broken Sword across. Uh, the assets were 640-400, which was about the size of the Apple screen at that time as well. Um, and then and then Broken, uh, then Broken Sword 2. And in about 2000, at the beginning of 2011, Apple invited us to uh, contribute Broken Sword, something called the 12 Days of Christmas. And that was where you gave away, a developer gave away uh, a title for one day um, in the 12 days around Christmas. Uh, and we did this at the beginning of 2011, and we had two and a half million downloads in one day. Wow. Uh, Broken Sword. Well, I, it just blew our minds because, you know, just a few years earlier, we didn't have a business. We, you know, business was impossible. We were, we were writing games that were very profitable for publishers, but we were losing money. And through the relationship with Apple and, and iTunes, we were able to publish uh, our own games, um, build ourselves back up again. And that then gave us the opportunity to self-fund um, a prototype for Broken Sword 5, which we then kick-started in 2012. Uh, again, we got a lot of uh, support on the App Store with Apple. And so, you know, I feel that I owe Apple a great uh, debt of gratitude, really, because they um, they, they, they created uh, an ecosystem which allowed indie developers to thrive. Um, I remember at the time, publishers were very keen that Apple should have two app stores. They should have an app store for mainstream publishers and an app store for indie developers. And um, I remember the, the, the developer support person, David Carroll, wonderful David Carroll, um, laughing and saying, why would we do that? Why? And he, he couldn't understand um, why Apple should discriminate between publishers and indie developers. And we, as a community, owe Apple um, you know, enormous thanks for providing a platform that was so welcoming to indie developers. Um, and, and now they've done it again with Apple Arcade. And they invited us to become part of that. Uh, and we were absolutely thrilled. Um, they supported us and they've allowed us to be much more ambitious than we would have been otherwise. Um, and they've been a terrific partner. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I spoke to other developers who uh, released their games on Apple Arcade, and they have nothing but good things to say about Apple and the support that they were given as well. So, But it really is great to see that Apple are really supporting the indie developers, um, like yourself, and adventure game developers, when everyone else said that adventure games were dead and PC games were dead, and that they've helped with the revival. Uh, yeah, I mean, they have been an absolutely terrific partner. Um Incredibly courteous, um, and, and the way that 
you know, Apple see it is they are one of the most successful brands in the world. I mean, they, you know, arguably the most successful brand in the world. And they value their relationship with independent developers. They can see the way that they bring value as well to their brand. And, you know, when, when we did the 12 Days of Christmas and had the huge numbers of downloads, I remember um, the person who organized it um, over the weekend kept sending me, you know, messages about how well it was doing. You know, he was incredibly excited. And, and it is, you know, Apple right from the very beginning have seen the relationship with independent developers as very much a partnership. Uh, and obviously that's fantastic for us. Yeah, no, that, that's perfect. I mean, to me, it seems like the right way to, I mean, don't know the right or wrong way, but it seems like a good way to uh, to work. So, no, I'm de- delighted to hear. And um, and also, when Beyond Steel Sky comes out, uh, would it be available on other platforms as well? Because I know that's a question oh, very much people so. have been asking. Oh, very much so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Apple have not put any constraints on. Um, so the game will be releasing uh, initially on Apple Arcade. Uh, and then shortly afterwards on PC um, with console versions to follow later this year. Okay, that's great. Um, so now about Beyond Steel Sky. So this game is, what is it, 25 years in the making, I believe? <laughs> it's, it's, I, I think it's actually 26. Wow, so is, is that the longest time for an adventure game sequel? I can't think of any other adventure game that's been... Uh, you know, so long in in the making. It's another uh, sequel. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Stefano, do you see a Guinness Book of Records uh, award coming? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, it's. Uh, it, it is great, and there's such a demand for it as well that still people want a sequel to Beneath a Steel Sky. Um, so I suppose my next question is, why did you decide that now was the time to make Beyond a Steel a Steel Sky? Okay, so really, Beyond Steel Sky, well, or Beneath the Steel Sky, would would always, I'd always want to involve Dave Gibbons. Um, we work very closely with him on the original, and he's a terrific partner. Um, and you know, Dave and I first met in uh, around about 1989, when I was head of development for Activision, and we were interested in licensing Watchmen. And I got in touch with him and it turned out that the rights weren't available, Um, but we kind of kept in touch. And uh, with Beneath the Steel Sky, um, we started developing it with Virgin. And it just felt like the comic approach felt so right. Of course, we were all huge comic fans, huge fans of Dave Gibbons. And I kind of approached him knowing that he would have no interest whatsoever. And astonishingly, he was really excited and, and turned out to be a fantastic um, collaborator. Um, he worked with us on the story. Um, he, he, he doesn't ever claim to have very much to do with the game design. But you know, beyond that, he designed the characters. Uh, he, we even gave him uh, a copy of D-Paint um, from, Activision, uh, from, from uh, Electronic Arts, D-Paint 3, I think it was. Um, and he started designing the sprites directly. Now, um, I think we were limited on the Amiga to 32 colors. Um, so, uh, you know, there were huge, huge, huge constraints. But he just really loved understanding what those constraints were and, and working with us. Um, and he drew the, the backgrounds, which were then colored and animated by our sprite artists. So he had quite quite a major input into to that. And um, he actually sent me, uh, when we started talking again a couple of years ago, uh, a script that he'd written in 1995 
um, and and faxed over. Um, but the thing is that at that point, uh, as I said, adventures were seen as dying, and um, so the ability to bring back uh, an old adventure was fr- once we once um, our relationship with Virgin ended when Virgin basically closed down in, in at the end of the 90s. Um, it, it seemed impossible to actually bring back a game like this. So we, we kind of talked and we, we explored other ideas. Um, but really what changed was the ability to self-publish, um, the success of iTunes, uh, later the uh, Apple um, Store, Apple App Store, um, uh, and then of course Steam as well. Uh, and this embracing digital distribution where you move from a, a very limited storefront in terms of the number of products that you can, the number of games you can stock to an infinite storefront. And what that meant is very, very quickly, the games that were kind of mid-tier that publishers like THQ specialized in collapsed. And THQ, the biggest games publisher in the world at one point, were bankrupt within a few years once the digital distribution hit. And there was a real move to AAA being successful and super indie developers. And that obviously suited us extraordinarily well. So um, I remember what actually struck me was I went to a talk in Uruguay. Sorry, I gave a talk in Uruguay. Now, I'd never been to South America. Um, You know, being based in Europe, South America is a long way away. And um, I was introducing myself and, and I talked about Broken Sword. I talked about Beneath the Steel Sky and a cheer went up. And it was just extraordinary that like 25 years later, people were still cheering for Beneath the Steel Sky. And there are several reasons for that. Um, obviously, the quality aside, like, you know, you may or may not think it's a great game. Uh, a lot of people love it. Some people, I'm sure, don't. But what we did was we had several iterations which made it continue to be successful. The first one was that Virgin was a fantastic publisher and in 1994 the game released and and, and was very successful. But it was written for DOS um, and when Windows 98 stopped supporting DOS the game was effectively dead and we, to us it was of no value. And then some wonderful students came together to create something called ScumVM. And ScumVM, I'm sure you've, you, you've probably mm-hmm. heard of it. Um, I have indeed, yes. Sorry? I have indeed, yes, Derek. Yeah, yeah. And about. ScumVM um, was, a, was very much a passion project um, for a group of, of students. And um, the reason that all our adventure games um, continue to be played and continue to be readily accessible is because of ScumVM. So we owe them a, a great debt of gratitude. But the two programmers that focused on Beneath the Steel Sky was um, a, a two, two students. Uh, one was is Dutch, uh, Joost Peters, who then came to Revolution for a week's work experience while he was at university and, and never left. And he's our CTO. Um, and he's a huge Beneath the Steel Sky fan. And then a German fan called Rod, um, Robert Groffingham, um, who, who worked with Joost, very closely with Joost. And... They ported it. We gave them the source code. They ported it to work under ScumVM. And because, from our perspective, the game was only available because of ScumVM, we decided to give it away for free. And it seemed like a bit of a strange thing to do at the time. In hindsight, it was marketing genius. 
but um, we can't claim any credit for that because we had no idea what the end result would be. But it did mean that in, in a time before games were readily available, people could pay, play it for free and it got really, really widely distributed. Right, and so it kept it kept it in the you know the public as well, kept exactly, the public yes. mind, yes. And then thirdly, um, of course, we had the iPhone release, and we got a lot of support from Apple um, uh, through their um, iTunes uh, iTunes store, um, and that brought it to a new market as well. So it's been re it's been re uh, released, um, revitalized over several iterations. Which is why, actually, you have the generation of people who are in their late 30s who loved it because they played it, played it when they were 17. You've got people a decade younger than that who played it um, when it became free. Um, and then you've got people more recently who played it when it got promoted uh, on, on the App Store by, by Apple. So, you know, we're, we're, we're very lucky in that regard that even though it's 25 years old, there's still this latent demand. And so there were two things that, that made it work. First of all, we knew there was the demand. And secondly, there was the ability to self-publish. And, you know, I got back in touch with Dave, um, you know, uh, about two or three years ago and said, look, I think I think we can probably do it now. And he, he was very much up for it. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is, is history. Perfect timing then. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And then speaking about uh, Dave Gibbons, you know, he just worked, uh, you mentioned on the art style of the, of the game and, uh, the, the, the one of the interesting things with Beyond the Steel Sky is that this game will be in 3D. Now, it's not your first time making a game in 3D, but I wanted to ask, um, what does 3D allow you as developers to do that is not possible otherwise? So what are the benefits of making a game in 3D? Okay, so when when we wrote our first game, which is called Lear of the Temptress, um, we had a system where characters walked around the world talking to each other and responding to the world and to player character actions. It was a system that we call virtual theater. And we felt that it had huge potential and it was really exciting. People you know, were just blown away by this idea that characters had their own level of intelligence. Now, of course, you know, that was 25 years ago, so that's quite different to now. But what's the weakness of that was that as characters walked off a 2D screen, you had no idea where they were. They could be anywhere in the world and it became very frustrating. And I like the idea of going back to uh, virtual theater, um, but to have characters within a, with a 3D character, you could look around the world, you could see where they were, and you could see as they responded to the player character subverting the world. And it means that the game is much, much more dynamic. It's unashamedly an adventure game. You know, you go in, you interact with people, you have an inventory, but on top of that, you have the ability to hack into the world, to to change the way the world works and for people to then respond accordingly. So it's it, it adds an extra dimension to an adventure game. And I, I, I very, very much hope that people who love point and click adventures um, will, will love it because it is absolutely unashamedly an adventure. But then people who like a slightly more dynamic game will also be drawn in as well because it offers more than a than a 2D point and click ever could. Yeah, the other developers I've spoken to have said pretty much the same about 3D that makes it more dynamic, as you mentioned, and more cinematic as well. And so, more cinematic as well, of course, yes, yes. And, and it still has that comic book kind of feel to it, at least from the screenshots and trailers that I've seen, that it yeah, still well, managed to keep it looking like a comic book. 
Well, thank you. Yeah, what, what uh, the original Broken Sword, um, we, we said it was an interactive comic book. I'm not sure how much truth there is to that. Um, <laughs> because it, it, it felt like a bit of a marketing um, a marketing uh, tagline. But what we wanted for Be- Beyond the Steel Sky was for it definitely to feel like any frame could have been hand-drawn by, by a comic book artist. And that was the vision that we set out for. And, and at one point we even, you know, put cross hatches in real time. Um, but, but, you know, the thing about cross hatches, for a static image, they look great. But for a dynamic image, they, they just look a little bit strange. So we, 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 we did a lot of work to, to try and work out the best way to create an animated um, comic book style. Um, and obviously, we worked closely with Dave on this, and, and he was absolutely thrilled with, with the result. Um, and, and, and so it, 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 is a, it, it is, we like to think, a fairly unique style, um, very much driven around the fact that we wanted one to create just a new art style but two in an adventure game in other games you look at the main characters in adventure games you spend a lot of time looking at the backgrounds because clues to the puzzles are often contained in the background so by creating that comic book look with that sort of tune shade flat coloring it means that the eye can pick out clues much more readily than they would do if there was this sort of snowstorm of of polygons all competing with each other in the background. So our, our approach was both from an aesthetic perspective, but also from a, a gameplay, the practicality of a gameplay experience as well. Sure. Well, I look forward to to seeing it because the the screenshot I, I think look look great, and I for me as well looking at uh, the new story trailer that was out in my opinion it looks even better than than the original screenshots and i like the original screenshots but i can see as well that you guys seem to be working your way on it so um i'm really looking forward to going back into this world as well and um so and because i've been a big fan of benita steel sky as well and going back and then talking about the the gameplay that, that you mentioned so and the puzzles you mentioned some hacking puzzles as well so what kind of puzzles more or less can can we expect so will they be on the top end of the challenging scale or will they be slightly you know less challenging what is your opinion on uh, the difficulty of puzzles then in general you know, in what a good case? what a good question i think um one of the you know i i i thought about this quite a lot and you know in the 90s in the mid 90s people loved obscure puzzles so you, you think of a game like Discworld, right. where <laughs> the puzzles actually made very little sense, um, but the humour meant that when you solved them, then retrospectively they were funny. And they were. And Monkey Island with the monkey wrench. Um, right. <laughs> you know, so, so all of these things were funny once you'd solved them. The interesting thing is that a modern audience is now split between people who still love that type of adventure game and those that go, well... Why would I spend my time randomly trying things to be re- rewarded retrospectively? So what we did with what we've always done in our games is try to make sure the puzzles are absolutely uh, logical in the context of the world events at that time and the characters that inhabit that world. In other words, they make sense so that if you think about if you think about what's going on, then you should be able to solve the puzzle. There isn't this just try every combination. 
uh, until you get it right. And you know, if any of our, if at any point we find people trying every combination, then we failed because it means that the random, brutal approach of just do anything has taken over from the logic. And when we did the the, the preview. One of the nicest things that one of the uh, magazines wrote, which I still remember, is that the puzzles never felt like a chore because the puzzles were so carefully interwoven with the story. The two really developed side by side and there wasn't the sense that the puzzles were there as a chore. Uh, and likewise, what I didn't want was mini games. Um, so the puzzle, the, the, the hacking system that we have is not a mini game because it's so integrated with the world. You change the logic within that and then you come out of that um, hacking element. The world has changed in a way that you define and characters will respond accordingly. So uh, I, it, the, 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 the great thing about this game is it has been a few years in the making, but we were able to spend time prototyping, prototyping, prototyping because because we were self-publishing it, we didn't put the pressure that we would have done otherwise had we been going through a publisher and didn't really want to go. You know, I was absolutely determined that we shouldn't go to production until we were absolutely ready to do so. And that meant we could really in, innovate on one hand, but also make sure for point and click fans that we delivered a game that they would love to play. No, so, sounds great. I, I agree with you about the puzzles. I'm more on the end that I, I want them to be logical and integrated into the story. I know it's probably difficult for a developer to do that, but I, you know, the puzzles that you mentioned that I, if I have to randomly use objects, I'm like, why am I doing this? You know, why does this not make sense? So um, that's great to hear. And then another thing that Revolution is well known for is having serious stories, but having a lot of humor in your games with the interactions and with the characters. So I'm wondering, how how do you go about doing that? Because you seem to have struck the perfect balance in just about all of your games, that they have these very, you know, sometimes emotional stories towards the end and serious stories, but then these very humorous and very funny interactions and funny oh, lines of dialogue. You, so. so the, the approach is that the viewer, um, the, the, the gamer, the player, is experiencing the, a slightly mad world through the protagonist. In other words, the protagonist shares the same view of the world as the player does. So in, in this particular case, it's Robert Foster, and he's come from the Gap, and he comes into a city that appears to be a utopia, but there are strange things under the surface. And he hopefully is an attractive character and hopefully he is a funny character, but he's never a ludicrous character. The only ludicrousness is the way that the world responds to him. In other words, you share the same view as the, as the player as he does, and you experience the ludicrousness of characters as he does. So, that's been the structure. That's the structure for Broken Sword as well. Um, a, a, a counterpoint, a, a, an anchor, which your character represents, reflecting the same views as the players. So they respond in the same way to the ludicrousness around them as you as the player would do, if, if that makes any sense. 
Uh, to, to me, it does, because the main characters then for me in your games are the, probably the most relatable with Robert Foster, George Stobart and Nico Collard. They're the you know most, quote unquote, normal characters. And then it's filled with these, uh, you know, these, you know, quote unquote, crazy characters. And so it, I think that that definitely makes sense. And again, it seem, seems to have worked so far. So <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, we were very much, you know, very revolution back in 1990. Were, we, we were writing games very much in response to uh, Sierra Online. And right. Sierra were writing games that took themselves so desperately seriously. <laughs> I mean, some of them didn't, like Leisure Suit Larry. Um, although, my God, Leisure Suit Larry really has not stood the test no. of time, has it? <laughs> um, and, 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 and um, uh, you know, Ella, uh, uh, gosh, who, who was it that... Um, reviewed i can't remember now but um and 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 it hasn't stood the test of time particularly well because you know so many of the themes that you know were 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 so-called funny at that time uh, are now considered to be you know rather (laughs) misogynistic um but we we very much um i i was working um and uh, noreen who's one of the founders we were both working at activision um in the 80s and activision were distributing sierra um in europe and could see the potential. So we knew Sierra very well. And um, Sierra, as I say, generally were taking themselves much too seriously, particularly the King's Quest games. Right. So <laughs> what we wanted to do was create something that was just much more fun. Um, you know, the Sierra games, the King's Quest games have, you know, King, King Graham, um, which, you know, Graham might be a great name, but it's not a very kingly name, of Daventry. And, you know, Daventry... <laughs> If, if anybody knows Daventry, it's not a very kingly place either, um, with respect to <laughs> Daventry. So, you know, it just none of it really made sense. It was a, an American view of, you know, rather trite view of, of, of ye olde England. And, um, you know, so we were just saying, well, we love Sierra. We, you know, we love all of these games, but actually we want to do something completely different. Right. And it, I think you have again with, um, as, as you mentioned, with the humor and with the with the characters there, because uh, you know you you get a sense with the games that they're fun. You know they're very fun to play. Um, that's what we, well, at least what I got, uh, what I get with the Thank games. You. Um, I'm sure a lot of other people do. Now I could spend hours talking to you, but I know you have to get back to uh, working <laughs> on Beyond the Steel Sky. I could even. Talk, spend hours talking about Broken Sword, which we haven't uh, really <laughs> covered. But the last question before we go, and I'm sure that you probably won't be able to answer, but I'll answer. And I'm sure people uh, won't forgive me if I don't answer. But after Be Honest with Sky, the way I'm going to phrase this is to see what you can tell us. Um, are you considering what's, uh, what you might be working on after Beyond a Steel Sky, um, would you like to go back to make something original like In Cold Blood or another or a sequel to another popular series? Or is there anything at all that you can tell us? <laughs> <laughs> um, what I can tell you is mm-hmm. that I'm incredibly flattered that people are so interested by what we're working on now and what we're going to do next. Okay, that's. <laughs> I imagine that's uh, that's the most we're going to get. So. <laughs> no, but uh, what, what, whatever you guys decide. I mean, I would I would be all for another original game, um, like you guys did with In Cold Blood. Um, I I really enjoyed uh, that game and the story of that game. Or whatever you guys, whatever you guys decide to make. Um, at least I'll be, and many many other people will be supportive as Thank you well. Thank so much. Thank you. Yeah, um, that's great. 
So, so then, um, where can people find out more about um, well, your company and Beyond Steel Sky if they wanted to? Okay, well, uh, we obviously on our on, on our website we have a mailing list. Um, we of course have uh, Twitter or from Revolution Software, um, and then a Discord channel as well uh, and a Facebook. So we're we're, we're pretty active um, at. Um, communicating directly with our community so uh, we we are pretty easy to track down no that's definitely true and shout out to wendy who's the new is it a, a pr don't know what's uh, called but she's um she's on discord i see and i saw her with on some youtube videos with you guys she seems great wendy is great wendy yes, is absolutely so. great yes 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 she's she's our communications manager um and she is she's an absolute live wire yeah no very much so well, if she ever wants to come and help me with the podcast, I'll be very happy to. <laughs> <laughs> if, <laughs> you know, just putting it out there if she's listening. But <laughs> now, hopefully you can keep on to her for as long as possible because she does seem really, really great. So, yeah, no, um, she is. well, that's that's it for me. So, like, uh, just finish. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to say before we finish to the people listening? Not, not or at to... all. Thank, thank you so much. That's been great talking to you. And um I hope you enjoy the game when it comes out. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. I know myself, Thomas and Laura, we're really looking forward to it. So it'll be a day one purchase for us. (laughs) Bless you. Thank you you so much, Charles. Lovely speaking. Thanks. So that was my interview with Charles Cecil. I hope you enjoyed it. A huge, huge thank you to Charles again for agreeing to speak to me. I know he's extremely busy. So it was wonderful to speak to him, and I really, really appreciate him taking the time to speak to me. And uh, hopefully I can speak to him again whenever he's uh, releasing his next game. So uh, we shall see. So that's it for this week. But again, plenty more to come. Uh, Next Friday, I'll be joined by Thomas and Laura again, as we'll be reviewing the latest games we'll be playing. Hopefully I will be reviewing... Beyond the Steel Sky. Hopefully I'll have finished that. And um, I also before that, on Tuesday, I'll be uploading my interview with Steve Ince. So to continue the celebration of the 30-year anniversary of Revolution, I'll be speaking to Steve Ince, who was one of the lead writers and producers at Revolution and one of the lead writers of uh, the Broken Sword series and worked on Beneath Steel Sky as well so he played a major role in the success of revolution so if you want to hear that interview now you can go to patreon.com forward slash adventure games podcast and there you can hear that interview plus others you'll be hearing episodes uh before you release to the public and i'll be uploading video reviews and video interviews as well before to go to the public as well on patreon so you can help us out there if you so wish uh, that's patreon.com forward slash adventure games podcast as well. So a huge thank you again to everyone for listening. And um, so still plenty more to come. So until Tuesday, I will uh, speak to you all then. So have a good weekend and a good week then. Bye. <laughs>
wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps, and reviews will help get the word out, especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast. Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at AdventGamePod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a Adventure Game developer or a Adventure Game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you